Welcome to today's episode of Property Millionaire Coach. I'm your host, Adam Panisi. I'm currently building a $200 million property portfolio through my development company, AdPen. I started in property over a decade ago at the age of 22, where I developed a $3 million project and I did this while I was earning $60,000 a year as a graduate engineer. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. If you want free training on how to accumulate multiple properties and how to do property development, go to my website, www.libertyblue.com.au. I also have advanced training courses you can enroll through the website. Hey guys, in this episode, I'm gonna talk about how to accumulate a massive property portfolio. My name is Adam Panisi. I've got a couple of hundred million dollars on my own property development projects on the books. And in this episode, I'm gonna go through how to get started if you're just buying passive, passive property and being able to accumulate a large portfolio that way. I started off doing property development because I saw buying a house as a 25 or 30 year mortgage and I didn't want to get myself locked into that. There are other ways other than doing property development. If that's too much of a bigger game for you, there are other ways to be able to get into property and make a huge amount of money just from buying and holding. There is a couple of credentials that you do need. You do need a job or some form of serviceability, whether that's from your job or your business. And if you are with your business, you need at least one to two years of financials. So you do need a starting position when you are just doing a buy and hold strategy. Uh, when I was in my job, I was making $60,000 a year. I had some serviceability, but back then I got taught a way to do property development and all the BAW rich list listers were property developers or property investors of some description. So you're in good company when it comes to doing property development or investing. Not everybody wants to be a developer. There are further risks associated with that and there's also more work involved. But if you do wanna just jump into property investment, you can just buy, accumulate multiple properties. There was a book I read when I was 15 or 16. It was zero to 150 properties written by Steve McKnight and that book was written pre-GFC. It's a really fantastic book if you haven't already read it, but a lot of those rules that he does or that how he accumulate, accumulates properties doesn't or isn't actually available to us anymore post-GFC. So what he built up was a lot easier pre-GFC and there is a way to do it in the same light as how he did it in, in that he was going out buying positively geared properties. So that means properties that pay for their own expenses and then put money back into your own pocket. So he went out and he just kept accumulating more properties that were positively geared. And he went to 150 properties in three and a half years. So he, he amassed a massive property portfolio in a short period of time. Um, every time he bought a property, his serviceability would increase because that positively geared portion, so that extra cash flow that he was getting after the expenses from each property, he was adding to his income. So every time he bought a property, his income would actually increase. Post GFC, post APRA regulations, tightening of the banks, lending criteria and safe lending practices, you can't do that anymore, which means that every time you buy a property, at least under the same entity, every time you buy a property, you actually reduce your serviceability or you reduce your income 
in the light of the bank. It doesn't matter whether that property pays for its own expenses and more, it still means when the bank comes to do an assessment on you, your serviceability is actually reduced, it's less. So that means that you're gonna get capped out at maybe two or three properties like a lot of people. Unless you're on a huge income that can service like a multi-million dollar debt, um, all in the one name, you know, you're, not, you're gonna get tapped out pretty quickly. And the amount of income you need to service uh, a massive debt in the, in the eyes of the bank is huge, it's massive. Um, I'm actually quite shocked how much income they want you to provide just for a smaller, like full dock loan. Um, I don't have an issue with that anymore because I generate a whole heap of serviceability through various different companies and property developments and all of that stuff. And most of my loans are actually done as low dock because I have so much happening, because I have so many projects. I've got various commercial loans. When I do actually go for a residential loan, it's actually what's called a low dock loan. So you, you either have a full dock, which means you provide all the full documentation, or you have what's called a low dock, which means there's just less documents provided. And a lot of business owners will do low dock. You pay more money for a low dock, uh, but it means you can get the loan through a residential means rather than having to go through a commercial, which the loan rate is then higher. So that book, Steve McKnight's book, I thought it was fantastic when I read it when I was 15 or 16. Then the landscape changed in 07, 08, and then APRA brought in changes whenever that was, 9, 10. So you can accumulate as many properties as you like. You can go to 150 if you want to, um, and you can just keep buying, but you've got to structure it correctly. Now, what I mean by structuring is, I'm not talking about structuring the building correctly. Uh, I'm talking about structuring the purchase. Who is the purchaser of that property? So for most people, they buy their own home in, and that's normally their first, first purchase. They buy it in their own name or they buy it in joint names. That's quite possibly the worst thing you could do is buy it in joint names, even your own name. Unless you've got a lot of serviceability and other factors like low-risk job uh, where you can't be sued personally, so there's no you know, asset protection there, and also you're paying it with after-tax dollars. Um, I never did my own home and all my money went into all the projects I was doing. So they were, they were treated as investments. So I had massive tax advantages with those. I generated income from those. And with property development, with the structuring, once it's actually set up correctly, and it took me seven accountants or six accountants to get somebody to set it up properly. Uh, with property development, the big property developers in Australia actually don't pay any income tax. So you might be a little bit shocked by that, but you know the biggest property developers don't pay any, any income tax once the structure's set up. So I'm not gonna talk about that, I'm talking about how to buy properties and just keep accumulating more. So every time you buy a property, you want your income to keep increasing, keep accumulating, same with buying properties. You don't want it to go backwards. Um, so if you buy one property, that shouldn't affect your serviceability when you're being assessed for the next property. And I'm only just talking about residential here, so I'm just gonna keep it really simple on residential properties only because most people invest in residential. So if you buy your property in your own name, uh, number one, you're paying with it for uh, after-tax dollars, whether it's an investment or otherwise, at least an investment, you get tax advantages. But you're still paying in after-tax dollars. There is a structure to pay pre-tax dollars, but I'm not gonna go into that. Uh, then when you go to buy the second house, whether that's in your own name or not, the bank will assess the first property you bought. So they're, now they're going to assess both properties together and to see whether you can service those. Even if they're both investment properties, the bank will still see each purchase 
as affecting your serviceability. So reducing your income um, each time you buy a property. So it's going to reduce. Uh, so the only way to have it not reduce is actually to keep buying each property in a separate entity. So if you have enough serviceability to buy your own home in your own name, um, I think it's advantageous if you're wanting to on-sell that home at some point in time and realize the capital tax-free. I think that's the, the real benefit to buying in your own name is that you get tax-free advantages with capital gains if you live in that property um, or if you buy an investment and end up living in there. But if you buy one property and then you buy a second property or you, you are stuck at one property and then you've maxed your whole serviceability just by buying those two, then you need to maybe reconsider buying the first one in your own name. Um, if you are a first-home buyer, you can get you know stamp duty and all that stuff. I think that's probably worth it for a lot of people. I never elected to do that, um, but for most people, if you can get you know an extra twenty, thirty thousand with stamp duty exemption and first-home buyer grants, I think buying your first home in your own name and living in there is an advantage from that perspective. But don't let it hinder the capital growth that you could have otherwise gotten on an investment property. So in other words, you don't want to buy your own home just to live in it, but it being a, in a really poor growth location. So yes, you get your stamp duty exemption, and yes, you can sell tax-free if it goes up in value, um, but that 30000 or whatever it was, you might have been able to buy another investment property and it could have made you double or triple that 30000 So don't always look at it like the government's handing you out free money. Um, you know, it's guaranteed money. If you actually invest smartly and in the right things, you can actually make a lot more than just the handouts from the government. So that being said, what I do with every property purchase, whether it's development or a long-term buying hold, I put it into its own entity, its own structure. So that, that structure really, you've only got two options. You've either got a company or a trust to put it into. And I won't go into details on each of those and the implications, pros and cons behind each, but basically just to keep it really simple, for long-term buy and hold properties, I put them in trust, and generally speaking, and for uh, property development projects that I then on sell, I normally put them in companies. So that's how I pretty much do everything. So a company owns the development projects, and a trust owns long-term buy and hold that I never plan on selling. That's just how I've structured it. That was the advice that I got for my situation. Yours might be slightly different, but that's how I do it. So they're your only options. You either buy a property in a trust or you buy it in a company. But the key thing is you buy them in separate companies or separate trusts. And I actually keep separate bank accounts for every single property as well with the various transactions. Um, I know of other people that keep the same bank account with the same company and that same company might have multiple properties. That's fine if you're buying lower value properties. I think that that could be advantageous to put multiple properties in the one company, but only if it doesn't affect your serviceability. And you've also got to consider if you're holding long term, as you're holding your your in, uh, the value of the land goes up over time. So you might be holding some really low value properties now, and you might be holding two or three, and you're fine. Your serviceability is good your land tax isn't that high, but over time, value of land increases, land tax increases substantially. So you now your land tax bill's higher because you've got multiple properties. And then the other thing is, if you do plan on redrawing from those properties and you wanna keep it under a residential facility because that's the cheapest money you're gonna be able to get as a retail investor, 
the the money that you redraw, you might end up maxing your serviceability. You might be in a position where to get your serviceability back, you might have to sell one of these properties. So to keep it nice and easy, just to simplify that, I just buy one property, one entity, and then just, you know, whatever the cost of the, the setup is from the accountant, I just pay it and just cop it at the start. Uh, that one or $2,000 setup, and then it might cost you 500 bucks every year. You know, I think that that's worth it. We're talking about making hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions if you're building up bigger portfolios. You know, we're talking about mass amounts of money. You shouldn't be worried about spending a thousand bucks setting up something, you know, a structure that's going to enable you to make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So that's my take on it. So compartmentalize every single property into a separate entity. Now that's step one. Um, you know, you might've already done this if you do own a few properties already. Uh, but the key to actually being able to buy additional properties is actually to increase your serviceability every time you buy a property. So you at least want to be buying neutrally geared properties. A neutrally geared property isn't going to increase your serviceability because it's not spitting off extra money, but it at least will keep it the same. It won't reduce it. Um, but when you buy positively geared properties, that extra money that comes in, um, I don't leave it with the, the company or the entity that owns the property, I actually channel it through what's called a bucket company or a management company. So that management company looks after all the properties and it charges management fees for doing that. So that management company is then what I go and show and use for serviceability. So that management company is really the cash flow. It gets paid uh, in various different management fees on various different properties, you know, monthly normally. So that's what's generating, and that's what I show to the bank as cash flow, uh, because I'm in the, the business of managing properties. It just so happens that they, they have my own properties. And when you start to accumulate multiple properties, you can do the same thing. You don't have to set this up from day one, um, but if you do set it up early, one big mistake that I learned when I quit my full-time job is that I didn't have serviceability because I quit a full-time job on 150 grand a year, that I was making and then I didn't. I went basically to zero serviceability and it took a couple of years before I was back to actually being able to get proper loans. Um, and that that structure, I could have set that up years earlier if I had have known. So it, it did take me you know, six years to get an accountant that knew about property, but it also takes a level of understanding from you, the investor, uh, to be able to instruct your accountant on what it is you actually want from him. If you don't ask the right questions, you're not gonna receive. Exactly the same with when you're instructing or directing lawyers. It's no different. You can come across you know, good lawyers, bad lawyers, good accountants, bad accountants, anyone, but you've gotta be able to at least have a basic understanding on what it is that you're doing because your accountant, chances are 99.9% .9 of accountants or more haven't built a large property portfolio and they know very little about property. Um, but there are a select few that may have built a large property portfolio. But then the question lies that, have they built a large property portfolio using the income from the property? Or have they used the income or the assets from whatever business they have? So if you're working in a job making $100,000 a year, if you don't have a business making a million bucks a year or two million a year, you, know, you need to generate all of your income doing property if that's the way you want to go. So yes, there's other people that have built you know bigger portfolios, but have they done them from 
the income and from the equity off the property or do they start with a big base or do they earn you know all this cash flow from some other business so to do it directly in property it takes a little bit more time and you've got to set up the structures early on and you want to really be buying at least neutral if not positively geared properties every time you do it and you want to be buying under market value so that you've got instant equity and then you want to just be cycling through the equity gain as the property grows in value. So you you have to be buying in high growth locations that do have capital growth for one, otherwise it's not going to work. You're going to run out of capital to, to be able to buy properties and you need to buy at least neutrally geared properties. Otherwise you are physically going to run out of serviceability both in the bank size and physically from your, yourself. There's only a, a point in time where if you're outlaying money for every property, you can, you're going to max yourself out so they're the key ways. So step one is to set up an entity for every single property. Then step two is really to buy properties that are high growth and that spit off extra money and then funnel that into a serviceability company or a bucket company or management company, whatever you want to call it. And then the third step of that is you've got to be able to finance every single time, which means you need a finance broker that knows what they're doing. Uh, 99% of the time, it's not going to be a banker. Uh, every banker that I used to use wouldn't have done it this way, but it needs to be a broker that understands how this works. And basically, you just need to isolate all the other properties. Uh, you need to get your accountant on board. So all the other properties need to cover all of their own expenses. And you normally back that up with an accountant's letter that says entity XYZ covers their own expenses. And then that doesn't affect your personal serviceability when you're applying for the loan. So you've got to pretty much isolate every other property that you own. So if you own 50 properties, you got to push all of them to one side, then you go for the loan on the 51st property and that banker or you know the finance broker just makes the application for that one property. You could be making you know serviceability of 100,000 or 200,000 that you show uh, and the other 50 properties, it doesn't matter what they're doing. The bank will not look at those um, and your serviceability will be assessed on its own merits for that particular purchase. Now, this is just residential. I'm talking about you know straight residential lending. I'm not talking about any other lending. Commercial is different. Um, and various loans that I have are commercial. The majority of mine are commercial. Uh, so I'm just talking about straight residential. You need an accountant that, that knows what they're doing in terms of setup structures um, and not one that just says they do. These things don't cost very much money. It took me you know, six, seven accountants to get to one that actually understood structures and tax optimization, but actually really did it. But the other six that I used and some of the six were some mid-tier firms that charged me an absolute fortune. Um, even when I was just starting off, I was spending 20,000 a year on accountants when I didn't need to spend anywhere near that. My bill should have been probably 4,000, 5,000 a year. So if your accountant wants to charge you, you know, an astronomical amount of money, I would change to somebody else. A lot of the times, even the smaller firms where you're getting the owner of the firm doing your, doing your stuff, that normally works out better than having a big firm because in a big firm, you're normally getting the junior. And that's actually what happened to me a lot of the time. I actually had the junior doing a lot of my, my legwork or doing a lot of the legwork and that actually made a lot of mistakes. And the setup, the structure was just all over the place. I had no real structure that was set up. And uh, previous to that, you know, I'd learned a little bit about structuring portfolios from other investors 
you know, other mentors that I had, but really it came down to trial and error and nobody really showed me a way to be able to do it consistently. And I actually had have to still have to direct my accountant on what to set up. So you still need an accountant that's going to set up a tax effective structure, but you still need to be able to direct them into, hey, I'm, I want to set up a new structure for this. And some accountants will advise against it. They'll say, why do you need a new structure? You're just wasting money. It's going to cost you more money, blah, 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 whatever. Accounts don't understand financing. And the finance broker, they don't understand financing in terms of building massive portfolios, most of them. So it's only up to you. You need to be the one to direct them to set up a new entity, go to the finance broker and say, hey, I want to assess this on its own merits. I want to isolate all the other properties. Here's a letter from my accountant. Is that sufficient enough? Um, not all banks will accept this. So, you know, you need to find a bank as well that will accept basically isolating all the other properties and then assessing it on its own merits. So there's a few moving parts here. Once you get the moving parts right, in other words, once you get the right people on your team, it's actually really easy because these guys do it all the time. Um, but you still need to be the one directing. You know, if a jockey, if he's riding a horse, you know, you can have a really great horse, but if you're not directing the horse in the right, right location, if you're pulling on the reins in one direction, the horse is going to go around in circles. So it's not about having really great consultants. It's actually about being able to drive them, steer them in the right direction. And the only way to be able to do that is learn from people like me that have already made all the mistakes. You know, learn from the people like the Steve McKnights who I learned from originally but then, you know, have to have had to fine-tune really what he was doing, you know, over a decade ago into now today's terms. And buying positively geared properties um, just on, you know, this side of things in terms of high-growth locations and positively geared properties, buying those positively geared properties shouldn't be your main focus. You shouldn't just be focused on the yield of the property because true wealth is actually built from capital growth. The cash flow that spits off from properties, yes, it might be whatever, a couple of thousand dollars a year, but that's not going to make you rich. It's going to cover, you know, cover serviceability, increase your serviceability, maybe cover some lifestyle. But what's going to actually make you rich is the capital growth. So I, I don't sacrifice positively geared properties or cash flow for properties in really good locations. I'd rather buy a neutrally geared property in a bad, uh, sorry, in a really good location where I know it's going to get some awesome capital growth and buy, you know, a really highly geared, positively property, positively geared property in like a regional town where it could be up, it could be down, nobody knows. I'd rather buy that capital city neutrally geared property. Does mean you're going to have to work a bit harder because if you look in Sydney, Melbourne, you know, plenty of parts of Brisbane it's hard to buy something off the shelf that's positively geared. So you are going to have to look outside the box to be able to buy something that's you know positive or even just neutral. And that may also mean you know building something, you know buying a block of land and building a house. Uh, that's a really good way to get started and building some equity. You just got to make sure that when you do that, you're actually building an equity and it's not cheaper to buy something that's already done. So I hope that's helped. And if you do want further details, I do actually teach all of this in my course, in my programs about property accumulation. For one, that's my basic course. But then 
in property development. I teach you how to take it to a whole nother level, show you how the biggest property developers in Australia actually don't pay any tax and how you can accumulate multiple properties uh, without paying any income tax. And if you've gotten value from this video, please let me know if you like it. Like and subscribe for more. And if you have any questions, please let me know in the comments.